I think for me it was just realizing and understanding like how you know different foods were affecting me portion sizes of certain types of foods as well it just sort of yeah opened my eyes a bit and realizing that like hey like, like how did you even expect your stomach to be performing or be okay when all of these things can kind of be impacting you know how you're feeling on a day-to-day -day sort of thing Hello and welcome to The Long Lunch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. My name is Alan McCubbin, I'm an accredited sports dietitian, lecturer and researcher in sports nutrition at Monash University in Melbourne. And I'm joined as always by my colleague who does all those things as well, Steph Gaskell. How are things with you, Steph? Things are good, Alan. Things are good. Um, what's happening here? Just uh, ticking along nicely with studies, hopefully... I've recruited all of them, so hopefully um, everyone keeps coming along, doesn't get injured, and uh, hopefully we'll be finished off the, the two studies by November this year and then get the, get the fun time of, of writing it all, all up. Um, and and is that the last yeah. study for the PhD? It's the last study for the PhD, I know. Oh, Exciting man. times. Yeah, and I was, um, you know, have been stressing out like everyone, just... Um, gets closer and uh, I need to start cracking into into doing more writing. So yeah, then just doing all the fun analysis um, stuff, working out the, the EGG, making sure we've got all that set up right. And um, yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to see what comes out of that. Um, yeah. So yeah, and uh, otherwise just enjoying this awesome, awesome weather outside. Like it's it's beautiful, isn't it? Mm, no, you took the words out of my mouth. I was about to ask you what you've been doing with the, the better weather. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, what about you? Um, oh, pretty much the same. Like just getting outside and trying to enjoy the weather while it's mm. here. Um, mm. You always get that time at the start of spring where it looks great and then it goes terrible again. Mm -hmm. But I think we might have finally broken through that period into the like summer's coming yes. legitimately kind of weather, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Got to be mm. watch out for snakes uh, and take on board Alice's um, recommendation of, of bringing with me two or three snake bandages when I go out on my trail runs. Yeah, exactly right. And uh, yeah, looking forward to our, uh, our lockdown being slowly eased in bits and pieces and being able to travel a bit further to uh, get out on the mountain bike and ride some decent trails again. Actually, something did happen this weekend, Alan. I believe your team won the grand final. Yeah, well, when you say my team, yeah. team that I supported since I was a kid, but so I'm not working team. for them or anything like that. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, the AFL grand final. Um, for all the listeners overseas, you're like, what's an AFL? Um, so don't worry about it. Um, but yes, they did have a good win. So first time since I've been alive that they've won one. So um, yeah, good times. Yeah, very exciting. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, here on The Long Munch, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask, sort of things that people are often debating about online or uh, together when they're, when they're out training. And then we um, break it down, invite a, a guest expert in one episode to provide their perspective and then an athlete to also, I guess, give their practical um, real-life experience with it as well. Um, so today is episode 21B and it's a continue on from last week's episode. Our topic is what are FODMAPs and why is it relevant to exercise? And Steph, who have we got today as our athlete guest? 
We have the wonderful Scotty Hawker, um, who uh, the um, runners and, and particularly the ultra trail runners, I'm sure, um, would be familiar with. So Scotty's born in, in New Zealand um, and he's a elite trail runner. He, he spends about six months of his time traveling and racing around um, Europe um, and he's had some stellar performances and I think probably the, the standout um, perhaps for him and, and particularly, you know, it's a, a standout um, event that many um, trail runners aspire to at least participating in is Ultra Trail um, Mont Blanc, so UTMB. Um, so that's a 100 miler. Um, and um, in 2019, uh, Scotty finished third, which is is like amazing because um, often in, in those events you see it's all, all Europeans, you know, they live and, and breathe um, the mountains over there. And um, so I guess that's what, you know, also for Scotty, kind of encouraged him and he saw that he needed to spend some time over there um, spending spending the hours and times on the mountains and that's that's really helped him um, and then just recently he's come um, placed second in um, the CCC which is part of UTMB sort of um, the events and that's a that's a hundred kilometer um, and that was because you know he he probably would have liked to have done UTMB but unfortunately it's had a sort of niggle that that took him a while to get on top of um, and the reason that you know we've we've asked Scotty to to um, get on uh, and share um, some of of his experience with nutrition is because um, he, he contacted me some time ago maybe 2017 or 18 um, due to you know his race is basically ending because of gut symptoms um, and I've been lucky enough to work with him from from then to to, to continuing um, and uh, it, I just thought he would give a real nice practical example of what he kind of suffered through um, and then finding um, that by by tweaking you know his diet um, yeah the outcome um, for him seemed to be really really positive so. Uh, we are lucky enough to have Scotty on, on the show. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And as you said, the UTMB is kind of probably, I guess, the ultra trail running equivalent of the Tour de France mm. in terms of the, the prestige and it being sort of the, the top of the food chain. So, yeah, that's a, a, a massive one for Scotty. And, and also the CCC, as you said, it's the 100K event at the same um, weekend of racing. So if you have a question that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us on social media at The Long Munch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Uh, you can give us some feedback, what you're liking, what you're not liking. Was Steph's rant okay last week? Was my rant better the week before or worse or <laughs> either way? Or do you not like the rant at all? Feel free to let us know. Uh, but yeah, if you do have a question that you'd like answered, uh, feel free to, to let us know and we can see if we can uh, make that up for a, a future podcast, just like Basil did this week, Steph. Yes, yeah. So um, Basil um, has asked if we can uh, cover, I guess, a question in terms of kids' youth nutrition um, and, you know, I guess the amount of, of training that they can do and obviously the development and growth that's still occurring with them, um, what are some nutrition considerations for them? 
Um, it's something that you and I have chatted about because there's some research in our lab that it's, it's more specifically looking at, at um, running and the impact on, I guess, individuals that start that at a young age, in, more in terms of ultra running. Um, so yeah, great, great question. And we'll um, definitely look into that and, um, and we'll have that on a, on a future episode. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. All right. Well, I think it's time to get into this one and uh, have a chat to Scotty Hawker about why FODMAPs are, are relevant to exercise. Let's do it. Scotty Hawker, welcome to The Long Munch. Whereabouts in the world are you right now? Uh, so I'm in Spain at the moment, uh, just up in, yeah, up in Catalonia, uh, sort of yeah, up near the, the Spanish and French border. So it's, um, yeah, it's definitely pretty pretty hot and humid up here compared to where I was in, in in France and Austria the last couple of weeks so it's yeah, been a bit of a change yeah awesome and obviously some, some big racing over the last few weeks do you want to tell us about your trip to France and what's been happening yeah yeah so I came over here um or the main I guess objective for the trip to Europe this year was uh, for the CCC um which is yeah, part of the sort of the UTMB festival um so there's yeah the UTMB which is 100 miles which is yeah race I did um a couple of years ago and um yeah this year i've decided to do the, the 100k uh, sort of version i guess which is the ccc um and yeah it was just um chose to do that just purely because I, I had a pretty serious injury um literally on the last day of uh, 2020 um and so yeah i only started running again um around the beginning of may this year um and so yeah the thought of running 100 miles um <laughs> This this year was um, yeah kind of terrifying to be honest. I mean to be honest, the thought of running 100k was terrifying as well as I was standing on the start line because I hadn't done it for two years. Um, but um, yeah, the sort of yeah the main objective for the trip was the CCC race, which is um, yeah easily the, the sort of second biggest race in the world behind the UTMB. Um, and so yeah, that was sort of the, the main reason for the trip coming over here this year. Mm. Well, it was well worth the trip because you might have been a bit worried, but you ended up second. So was that yeah. uh, better better than what you'd sort of expected going into it? Um, yeah, for, yeah, for sure. Like it's um, it's kind of in a weird way, even though the build-up was so short, um, just in the last sort of three weeks, basically from when I got to Europe, um, I just sort of started, yeah, just getting a few markers sort of within my training and training sessions and um, just being able to sort of compare previous runs and stuff that I'd done um, from a couple of years ago when I was third at UTMB and um, yeah the sort of feedback that I was getting from the runs I was doing was that I was arguably running the run the same runs um, at the same sort of speed and pace if not faster um, than a couple of years ago and um, yeah once I sort of yeah I guess got my head around that and was sort of was scratching my head wondering why and how I was sort of seemingly running so well after you know literally I in, in the beginning of May I was you know, running for a minute, walking for four minutes. And if I could do that five or six times, I was fist pumping and, you know, pretty stoked with how things were going. Um, and so to all of a sudden be, yeah, coming second at the biggest, you know, 100K race in the world was, um, yeah, definitely, yeah, over the moon and, and um, you know, a little bit surprised. But I guess, um, yeah, the, the, the markers were there. And, um, and once I sort of, you know, I guess built a bit of confidence around a few runs that I did do in the last few weeks. And um, I had a build-up race as well. Uh, two weeks out from the CCC that um that just went really really well, um so yeah it's sort of in a weird way I was kind of standing on the start line, yeah kind of strangely confident yet still yeah kind of nervous and um you know just a bit worried yeah pure which seems crazy because I've been kind of doing ultra marathons for a long time now but 
yeah, just um, literally just standing there hoping and crossing fingers that my body was going to be able to run 100k and get through it and my ankle wasn't going to blow out halfway through and, and all those sort of questions, you, I guess you wonder sometimes when you, you know, sort of doing something you haven't done for a while. Mm, absolutely. And it's amazing, you, you often hear these kind of, like that's certainly not the first time I've heard a similar story to that, like someone's, you know, had to take a bit of time off for whatever reason, whether it's, you know, lockdowns with COVID or injury or, or both, um, and then sort of come back and, and it makes you think, you know, you know, we often train and race a lot and actually when you train and race less you, you often pull out a better performance as a result yeah for sure mm. okay now obviously people would have probably you know picked the the accent already that uh, you're from New Zealand originally but it sounds like you spend a, a fair bit of your your year over in Europe is that normal for you yeah yeah so you're definitely a Kiwi um, and I've, I've been been to New Zealand a bit more the last couple of years so I'm, it's quite cool getting my Kiwi accent back because I think I was a bit of a hybrid sort of Aussie <laughs> Kiwi for a while there which was confusing people but um, yeah so no definitely from New Zealand um, but, and then yeah the last probably five or six years um, have been spending more or less half of the year um, sometimes a little bit more in Europe um, and yeah basically coming over here training and racing um, and I mean all of the, the kind of the biggest international races are over here, the races that are part of the Ultra Trail World Tour. And then, um, yeah, I mean, the, the UTMB is always the, you know, the biggest focus for the season, um, you know, being the biggest race in the world. So that's always, um, you know, for the last few years has always been the focus event for the year. So, um, yeah, sort of for me, it just sort of, yeah, means coming over here and being able to, um, yeah, train and train in great locations, train on the course, um, and also, um, you know, obviously with obviously being Southern Hemisphere, Northern Hemisphere, just with the seasons and stuff as well, um, yeah, it just means that I'm sort of, you know, here at the right time and being able to train in some, you know, pretty good conditions to prepare for these, uh, you know, big mountain races. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and so thinking about that, I mean, obviously, um, you know, your training this year has been a bit probably different to, to what it has been in the past, you know, coming back from an injury. But in a, in a typical training week, what does that look like for you in terms of, you know, Ks, hours, terrain? Is it, you know, do you spend a lot of time in the mountains or is it a lot of sort of flat type stuff or a bit of everything? Um, yeah, definitely heaps of time in the mountains um, when I can. Um, I've kind of typically, well, I've kind of been sort of, you know, classified as the low mileage guy the last wee while. Um, and so, yeah, I've always, um, it's nothing, it hadn't, hadn't sort of ever been like a real focus to say, oh, hey, let's, you know, do low mileage because that'll work for this reason. It's just sort of how things have unfolded. And, um, yeah, my body sort of just seems to have a bit of a sweet spot for anything around sort of 50 miles a week, so sort of 80, 80-ish to 90-ish Ks per week. Um, mm. And, I mean, definitely within training cycles, you know, for sure I have some some bigger weeks um, and then equally some some weeks that are much lower. Um, but, yeah, in, in general, normally my kind of average weekly mileage is around about sort of yeah, 80 to 90 K a week. Um but then I guess the um, the extra or the other part to that is that it it might be, you know, 80k with 5,000 meters of elevation gain, or mm. you know, there's always a, a heap of climbing. Um, and in the in the case of sort of being over here in Europe, um, normally you know all of those all of those k's and miles are done up at altitude as well, um, which is um, yeah sort of part of my. I don't wouldn't say it's a secret training plan, but um, it's just a, a kind of like a recipe that seems to be you know it's kind of proven to me over the last sort of few years and few times that I've done it if I can you know get up to altitude and for me um, you know sort of staying and living up at around 2,000 meters and training from there and higher 
um, you know, just seems to be a, a really good spot where I can get all the, you know, great adaptations. Um, but then also it's not so high that my body's, you know, kind of struggling to recover and, and having issues with, you know, recovery or fatigue and all that kind of stuff as well. So, um, yeah, it's just sort of a, a bit of a mix, but yeah, most of the time definitely spent in the mountains. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of works well for me because it means I can, you know, be in an environment where I love, um, you know, love being and, and enjoying it as well. So training, yeah, it is training for races, but to be honest, if there were no races, I'd still be doing the same old stuff anyway. <laughs> you know, being in the mountains and, and getting out there, so it's um, yeah, it works it pretty well. Yeah, not not a bad lifestyle at all. Um, and so in terms of yeah, ultra distance races, um, I mean, I guess it might be different at, at sort of elite level versus you know sort of recreational level. But how many ultras would you guys tend to do at the pointy end of the field in in like a year? Yeah. <laughs> Well, it depends on who you ask. Um, no, it's it's something that I I'm gonna keep trying to you know make a mass change for the society of trail and ultra runners because it's just been this thing for years that people just 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 race too often um, and racing long, really tough, challenging races far too often. Um, and so for me, in in general, I'll normally apart from a couple of crazy seasons that I've had where things got a little bit out of control. Um, normally, I'll try and do. Um, around sort of two or three what I would say like ultra distance races per year so in and around that kind of 100k distance or 100 miles Mm. Um, and I mean obviously everyone's different and everyone's body responds differently but um, yeah just over I guess the near on eight years that I've been involved in the sport um, I've just seen so many athletes especially at the elite level literally come and go within a season or two and um, you know literally just burn themselves out within such a short period of time um and so yeah for me it's always been a case of you know i still you know when i started when i was you know sort of 24 25 years old um i sort of thought well you know running's fun and racing's fun but i want to be doing this for a long time and then when i've stopped racing um i still want to be enjoying the mountains and you know being in the outdoors and all that kind of stuff so i've always sort of yeah just been a bit more careful and selective with um you know choosing races that i do per year and even in the case of utmb being 100 miles um, you know, for now and probably to be honest for the rest of my career, I can really only see myself running 100 mile per year, um, just purely because I, I don't sort of care what anyone tries to tell you or to convince you otherwise. Like the 100 mile distance is absolutely brutal, um, mm. and yeah, there's there's no you know no real easy way to recover from it other than you just need a lot of time for recovery. And I just feel, you know, for me personally, and then also. For to be honest, for most people, um, you know, doing more than one 100 miler per year, um, you know, I feel like you just sort of end up taking stuff from your body and your, you know, yourself as a person that you just don't get back because you just have to, you know, dig so deep in these races and you put your body through so, so much. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, you know, doing these 100 miler distance races and then and then also the, the craziness of the 200 mile world and these, you know, these backyard ultras that people are doing now just... Um, yeah, it's just um, insane, and it's um, yeah. I guess that's a whole another topic for mm. another conversation. But um, yeah, for me, it's more you know selecting a couple of key races per year, and um, you know really wanting to to nail those and be at my absolute best for those. And um, I mean, I still use shorter distance races, um, you know, throughout the year as build up races, and to you know to fine tune things, you know, like nutrition, like gear, um, some mindset type stuff as well. But in general, yeah, the sort of two or three kind of bigger ones per year. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think as as you said before, I think it's um, one thing that often gets overlooked a bit. Like, you don't want to come out of like particularly at the elite level, you don't want to come out of a career in whether it's running or cycling, triathlon, whatever it is, and just hate the thought of getting on your bike or going out for a run, either because it hurts or you just don't enjoy it anymore because you're just over it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And I think, and and that's I think you know for anyone across the board, you know whether you're a weekend warrior, whether you're the you know, at the professional level and the best in your field, um, as soon as you kind of lose that reason why or that, you know, that essence of why you kind of started doing it in the first place, I sort of feel like, yeah, you may be kind of doing it for the wrong reasons. And, I, and I've always felt, to be honest as well, when I get to a point in my career where I feel like I'm, you know, maybe racing for the wrong reasons or that, you know, fire burning inside me is, you know, not quite there anymore. Um, I'll, you know, to be honest, I think I'll just call it a day and, um, you know, kind of, you know, maybe look at things from a slightly different angle or just, you know, go back to maybe the reasons why I was doing it in the first place. And, you know, for me, that's just being in the mountains and I don't I don't need to have a, a race bib on or a number on my front to, you know, to enjoy it or to, you know, to do what I'm doing sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, I'm going to hand over to Steph now because uh, we've talked mm. a lot about racing. <laughs> Let's talk about some nutrition. <laughs> All right, so we're going to crack into, I guess, um, some people will already know that you've experienced, you know, some some gut symptoms um, in your time. Um, So uh, I guess it was a while ago now you were experiencing trouble with with gut symptoms during running. Can you tell us, I guess, a little bit more about that and I guess how how long ago did that sort of start happening for you? Yeah, yeah. I think I was actually trying to have a think about it earlier when it started and I think to be honest, um, I mean I really started noticing it probably I think in around 2016-ish um, but I think that was just probably the time where I finally pulled my finger out and decided to do something about it um, and I think, mm-hmm. yeah, to be honest, I think it's been going on for, for way longer than I you know, can kind of remember and, and which I think is a lot of the case with sometimes people that do have these stomach issues or problems with, you know, whatever it is, you sort of, you battle away and think, oh no, this is just normal, this is just me or whatever and then you finally get to a point but um, I think, yeah, probably around 2016 um, and yeah, I just sort of, for me, it just started having just race after race after race being completely derailed because my stomach was just unable to function, you know, anything remotely close to how I needed it to be able to function to not necessarily perform at the elite professional level, but just to finish to finish these races, you know, like I, um, you know, in 2018, um, you know, I just ended up having, I think I DNF'd seven out of nine races, um, and I'm pretty sure six of those were stomach-related. Um, and so, yeah, it's just sort of um, started to become something that I was sort of, you know, at a point where I could do as much as I could physically, I could do as much as I could mentally, um, but then without a, a good stomach on race day, it didn't matter it didn't matter, you know, how strong my legs were or how fit I was or how, you know, mentally prepared I was because I wasn't able to, you know, even get close to performing how I needed to be able to perform, um, you know, from a race perspective. But then even just finishing these races, um, you know, was becoming something that I couldn't do because it was getting to a point where my stomach was just, you know, completely shutting down and, um, you know, not letting me continue. Mm. And did you find the symptoms... Um, it was only during during your racing or was it also on a day-to-day basis that you noticed your symptoms? Yeah, I think um, I think it was a combination of both for sure. Um, and I think that was probably why um, maybe with little minor adjustments that I tried to make 
to either day-to-day or to the nutrition race day type stuff, um, which was probably why I guess none of them were successful for, for a while because it would be maybe, um, you know, changing up what I was taking during race day but then the day-to-day, week-to-week type stuff that I was eating for my normal nutrition and meals um, was not setting me up well to even be standing on the start line with my stomach or my gut in a good position to be able to do what it needed to do sort of thing. So, um, I mean, yeah, as you know, sort of it took almost like a complete overhaul and a complete focus on, hey, like you really can't, as much as you probably want to, Scotty, you just can't eat these kinds of things, um, you know, which was, um, you know, definitely a big change. But then, um, you know, seeing the results kind of flow off the back of that um, was just, you know, was just massive. So um, it was definitely, you know, something that did need to change. And it was pretty big in the grand scheme of things, I guess, because it was, you know, needing to cut out things that I'd been, you know, eating my whole life. And, um, you know, in some cases it was with the day to day, with the race day nutrition type stuff, it was sometimes, you know, nutrition that had worked in the past, but it wasn't maybe consistent enough with when it was working or how it was working. And so needing a, a bit of a whole change of, what I was actually eating on on race day, and also that I think importantly as well for me now that I've really noticed, um, and from what you've told me, Steph, is like even just what you're eating, you know, one, two, and three days before day four is going to be massively impacting on how you're going to perform from a gut perspective on that performance day or the day of the race. And so, um, yeah, I've definitely been really, really careful over the last few years. Um, yeah, just with regards to what I'm eating in those few days leading into the race, because, um, yeah, I feel like for me, that's probably, yeah, to be honest, one of the biggest things is just sort of setting things up so that I can have, you know, more success on, on race day. And with the symptoms that you do get when you're racing, do you do those symptoms tend to occur at a particular time? Like, do you tend to get it early on in a race, or is it kind of after so many hours that they tend to start? Um, yeah, it's it's kind of cool actually because I can't actually sort of remember exactly now because it's actually been a few years where I <laughs> had a um, touch wood had a um, yeah my stomach's been um, been fantastic the last um, few years of racing, which is I mean it's just been incredible the the change. Um, but yeah, it would be a whole range of different sort of timings and scenarios, I guess. And, um, yeah, even with the different races that I'm doing from kind of season to season, um, you know, some are starting at stupid o'clock at midnight and some are starting at four o'clock in the morning and then some are running through the completely through the night and finishing the next day. And, and Mm -hmm. some are, you know, some are running at a crazy intensity that, you know, is, is, Mm -hmm. is something that I don't do all that often. And so, um, yeah, it was just, it was becoming a case of sort of, almost getting to a point I guess where it's kind of just like far out like I just don't really know what to do like it's just sort of you know a sort of you know the nutrition sort of plan or whatever that I'd apply to maybe one race and maybe have success with wouldn't work with another one and then and and all of all of the kind of I guess intricacies involved with a specific kind of plan for different duration races different distance races races that are starting at 11 o'clock and midnight and some that are running through the night and some that are going for you know, 21 hours. Um, and so just realizing that, yeah, this sort of carbon cookie cutter generic, Hey, just do this and you'll be sweet as, um, that just, just doesn't work. Um, you know, well for for me anyway, so it's important to, you know, know, okay, well, this is a type of race that it is. Here are some of the dynamics that are going to be involved and then, um, you know, sort of planning, you know, based off that kind of stuff. And the types of symptoms that you tended to experience, what um, what were the types of symptoms you you felt? 
Yeah, so I was just, um, it was definitely a range of a couple of things. Like I, I sort of vividly remember just getting like a lot of sloshing in my guts and stuff, um, and especially on downhills um, with just, you know, fluid um, just sort of seeming to just sit and not be overly happy, um, you know, sort of being where it was. Um, and then, yeah, it was just sort of a, a range of just, um, you know, getting to points in races where I was just sort of, you know, just feeling super nauseous, um, you know, and getting some sort of, you know, stomach cramp type stuff going on as well. Um and again, it would just be dependent on the race and the, you know, sometimes even the time of day sort of stuff and sometimes depending on the conditions as well. Um, and I guess through a lot of kind of bad stuff happening with getting the sloshing and getting the nausea and um, and getting to the point where, you know, looking at a smorgasbord of options, just nothing was appealing sort of thing. Um, you know, it just got to the point where you're, just, you're literally just going for hours and hours and hours without any calories, without any intake. Um, and then obviously, you know, you can kind of bluff your way through maybe a couple of hours of that, but then it just it gets to a point where, you know, your body just slowly starts, you know, let, letting you know it's game over and, um, you know, the, the end is obviously not far after that sort of thing. So it's, yeah, it started to unfold that kind of way. Mm, yeah. And so what got you to the point of, oh, shit, I need to, like, really start to do something about this? Like, was it a particular event or? Um, yeah, oh, again, man, it's been, it feels like. Hard to remember. Which, which, to be honest, is incredible. I think um, it was toward, getting towards, I think I um, was, I think I was chatting with you again towards the end of 2018 after I'd had, yeah, easily, the, you know, the worst season that I'd ever had. And um, it was kind of just like far out, you know, I, I felt, I, I sort of felt like I was sort of looking in the mirror and telling myself like, hey, Scotty, like you're fit enough and you're strong enough and you could be good enough to get these performances that you're kind of dreaming about and have it, wanting to have and everything else. But, you know, my stomach was just this like missing link in the the whole equation. And as I said earlier, you know, without my stomach working, it, it doesn't matter, you know, how fast I am or strong I am or how many vertical meters I can do in a run or whatever it is. Um, and so I think the, the big sort of turning point was um, probably December, January 2018, 2019, um, and, and creating that nutrition plan for the Hong Kong 100 with, um, you know, using some different stuff and, um, and also, uh, take, taking out the, my, my pre-morning coffee, um, which was, um, a little bit devastating at the time, but, um, it's something I can quite, quite happily do now. But, um, yeah, I think just, um, yeah, vividly that one thing I do vividly remember is the turning point from where my stomach went from, Hey, you know, this is no go to, Hey, things are going really good. And I just remember getting, I must've been around 60 K 65 K into the Hong Kong 100, um, a race, race day where it was, you know, 28 degrees and 85% humidity. And I just remember running along just thinking like, Oh shit, you know, I've, I've been eating for the last five and a half, six hours and <laughs> I'm, I'm, I haven't vomited yet or I'm, I'm not, you know, feeling nauseous yet and, and whatever. So, um, and, and from there it's just been, um, yeah, case of just um, obviously adjusting things slightly depending on the type of race that I'm doing um, and, and also just applying, I guess, all of the stuff from the learnings and a little bit of the trial and error over the last sort of few years and to now be at a point where um, it's just, it, it's kind of easy to be honest because I just know exactly kind of what I need to do for me individually. I know the types of foods that I need to eat. I've you know, got my pre-race meal, you know, meals dialed in um, and even some of the, you know, the timings and stuff that I'm going to be having those um, depending on the start time of the race. Um, and yeah, t touch wood since, um, since that Hong Kong 100 2019, um, 
yeah, every race that I've had, um, again, touch wood, I haven't had any any stomach mm-hmm. issues at all, which has just enabled me to, you know, train how I need to train and then also race how I need to race and um, and know that, um, you know, the nutrition stomach side of things isn't isn't sort of this hurdle that I have to overcome anymore. Mm. Awesome. All right, we'll, we'll get into exactly what that involved in just a second. But firstly, Steph, you took away the man's coffee after all we just discussed in our last episode around I can't caffeine even withdrawal. I taking away Scotty's coffee. So <laughs> that's so mean of me. Why did I do that, Scotty? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know, but yeah, I just, um, and funny because it was one of the things, and how I was saying before, how I think athletes and people sometimes just sort of do something over and over and over and over and over and you know you keep having the same things or feeling a certain way mm. and um as soon as i did take out the the morning coffee um like specifically because i was like oh you know have a have an espresso before i you know start the run or start the session um as soon as i took that out it was just like oh holy heck i don't have to feel like shit before i start a run like, this, <laughs> this is fantastic you know because and um and so yes um i think the, the very first time i did it, i think might have been before the madeira island ultra a few years ago and that was a race that had a midnight start and the thought of mm. not having a you know double espresso before a midnight start was terrifying but um <laughs> yeah, just the acidity of it just you know sit, sitting and being the first thing that kind of goes in before the race um you know was something that just um you know just was, wasn't working for me individually i mean some people can probably mm. have a orange mocha frappe latte with you know squibbles on top whatever and be fine but um you know mm-hmm. having you know the the coffee and, and you know pre-race sort of thing um you know just isn't something that you know sort of works for me mm. yeah yeah interesting you still have some caffeine though during the race don't you <laughs> oh hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah see so like it hasn't completely gone alan no. like we've just done it more strategic okay so it wasn't the ca- coffee it wasn't the caffeine it was the coffee okay yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> yep. the, the, the caffeine, the caffeine intake is definitely, and especially in the in the recent race at the CCC, was definitely caffeine was in full flow, especially in that last sort of five hours of the race. And my uh, my my lack of sleep in the four days post race is definitely testament to that. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, I remember you saying Fair that enough. actually. Yeah. 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 <laughs> pretty awesome. pretty, and actually, to be honest, I think this time around was um, yeah, it's probably the most kind of savage I think it's been out of any race that I've done. Um, it was, yeah, just, um, yeah, my, my body sort of wasn't knowing what time of day it was for the first sort of three or four days after the race. So I was, um, I was very thankful when I could finally get a, a sleep where I could sleep for more than a couple of hours at a time, which was, um, you know, which was definitely welcome. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Um, so you mentioned, obviously, you know, a whole bunch of dietary changes you made sort of around that 2018, 2019 time with, um, you know, working with Steph. And obviously that the topic of today's episode is around FODMAP. So I'm guessing that's got a fair bit to do with it. So do you want to tell us, I guess, a bit about sort of what you worked out the issue was and, and sort of what Steph had sort of worked with you on in that sense? Yeah, I had to give up my garlic bread. It was quite devastating. <laughs> Making me out to be a bad person here. All of these beautiful foods and coffee. No, um, and when we're know, talking garlic bread, of course, it's the bread and the garlic. Yeah, well, ex- exactly. That's the problem, That's the yeah. I think for me it was just, um, yeah, like realising and understanding like how, you know, different foods were affecting me on the day-to-day, week-to-week, and then obviously, as I was saying earlier, you know, especially in the days leading into race day with regards to, I guess, the the state the state that I was going into these races and with regards to how my stomach was and my gut was. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was just literally I, years and years and years of just having, you know, typical 
you know, garlic and onions and, and just, and, and as, as you know, said with you, Steph, a few years ago, just having like, you know, vegetable meals. And for me at the time being vegan, it was just like, oh, let's just chuck in as many veggies as we can and this will be fantastic. I've got to get veggies and I'm vegan, you know. And um, and I think, you know, a combination of all of that and then especially, yeah, the, obviously, that you know, the garlic and the onion, but then also even just, um, you know, portion sizes of certain types of foods as well. Um, and that um, it just sort of, yeah, opened my eyes a bit and realizing that like, hey, like, Scotty, like, how did you even expect your stomach to be performing or be okay when, you know, all of these things can kind of be impacting, you know, how you're feeling on a day-to-day sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think just being, yeah, more aware of that and more, you know, conscious of that and then also just, you know, being, yeah, just through being more aware, actually being able to pick up on certain foods and certain things that are making me, you know, feel a certain way. And even as, as you said before, Alan, just with regards to like bread, just learning that as much as I love, you know, 28 grain Mollenberg bread, it's just not something that, you know, that works so well for me. Um, and, and especially, as I say, leading into like race day, race week as well. Um, and so just making some, yeah, not, not necessarily big changes, but just some subtle changes and just maybe, you know, adjusting things slightly on the day to day. And even with regards to some options, like, you know, choosing what kind of bread and also, you know, having, you know, eggs on toast now and not putting a whole avocado on, I only put a quarter of an avocado. Mm. That side of things. So, um, I think it's just, yeah, it's just been a, um, a case of just, yeah, just acknowledging, to a point, it is what it is, and if I want to be able to perform how I want to perform, I do need to make these subtle changes. Um, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong; sometimes I do throw caution to the wind a little bit, and I'll, I will order the, you know, the garlic bread when I order my pizza sometimes. But um, yeah, it's just a case of just knowing that, you know, when I'm, you know, obviously training and in focus periods of training, and, and also obviously for races, um, you know, to just really, really rein things in, and um, you know, just make sure that I'm, you know, ticking as many as many boxes as I can with regards to. Yeah, getting my sort of my gut and my stomach in a position to you know to be able to perform come race day yeah yeah definitely and i think like obviously in the days leading up to a race you know for a lot of people obviously they're eating more in those last couple of days before a race as well um and depending on your training volume you know you may not have to ramp it up quite as much as maybe a recreational athlete who goes from you know sort of this training volume to then having to really ramp it up for race day um but i'm guessing a little to some extent you probably your portion sizes increase in that last couple of days before a race um probably a a touch um not a whole heap to be honest Mm -hmm. um yeah, it's normally it's normally a case of just sort of um you know having a well, what I guess would be like a normal portion size, um and and then yeah maybe you know adding an extra spoonful of pasta but yeah nothing nothing overly crazy to be honest yeah. um I just sort of feel that yeah for me like leading into race day um effectively I'm kind of the the whole kind of cycle of it I guess is similar if I have been training well and things have been going well in training um nothing's like overly different to what I've kind of been doing in training and so it's sort of for me it's like you know, because, I mean, obviously, you know, you guys have heard a lot of stories about people, you know, doing the traditional, like, carbo load and just loading up, like, 28 spoonfuls of pasta and then finishing and then just going, oh, shit, like, hang on a second, I've got to run, I've got to run 100k tomorrow, like, mm. you know, how's that going to go sort of thing? Um, and so, for me, it's just sort of, you're yeah, trying to keep things as, as normal as possible and, yeah, definitely, you know, loading up a touch more than, than, than normal. Um and, and and that but um yeah nothing nothing so excessive to the point where I'm you know literally staring at a bowl of food just thinking how on earth am I going to finish this but oh, I have to finish it because I'm carb loading sort of thing so yeah. 
it's more just a case of just trying to yeah keep things as normal as possible and that's you know across the board with everything you know um you know obviously all all the nutrition stuff and not you know don't don't try a, a famous indian recipe you know the week of the race kind of thing because it sounds amazing mm-hmm. to keep with what's been working and what you know um and and that way hopefully yeah there'll be as as, as few surprises as possible you know come race day sort of thing yeah and steph mentioned before um or you know in discussion with you that you sort of had those gut symptoms like day to day as well as you know during exercise and so on yep. those so on race days could you already feel those sort of symptoms happening before the race had even started yeah i just um and i think a, a lot of it was um you know around a lot of the dairy products that i had been having and stuff as well and so yeah once <laughs> once i worked out i couldn't have my you know giant sized chocolate milk after a run um and realizing that yeah it was i think for me also part of it is um you know the the milk itself and the lactose and that but also the like sometimes for me it's the quantity of the the milk and stuff that i'm having as well i feel like that's definitely been a, a part of it um and so, yeah, it, 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 and for, I guess that side of things with regarding um, especially milk and cheese and, and stuff like that, um, that was like noticeable literally instantly, um, you know, because I, and I did it for, and again, it's sort of one of those things I was doing for years and years, especially when I was living in uh, Western Australia over in Perth for quite a while, it would be, you know, finish a long run and go and grab a, you know, half litre Masters iced coffee and, and every single time would be like, this is so good. And then 20 minutes later, this is so bad. Like, why am I doing um, yeah. And it was just like now in hindsight, it's just like, far out, you idiot. You were doing that for run after run, literally year after year. Um, but because it tasted so good, I just sort of, you know, thought, oh, well, it's just a sacrifice I'm just going to have to, you know, put up with. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, I'd be, you know, finishing long runs and I'd have my, you know, almond milk or soy milk or, you know, whatever was on special at the supermarket, I'd have that on ice. I'd have a protein shaker with a, you know, a pea-based um, pea protein, make that up, have my protein, drink after the run and, uh, you know lo and behold my stomach doesn't feel like an absolute train wreck you know within 20 minutes after finishing it so mm. again it's just sort of mm. me it was just sort of some small subtle changes and, and to be honest probably just a bit more you know kind of understanding around you know what is going to work and isn't going to work for me um and just you know implementing those and and then like anything it just becomes becomes your new normal and it's just you know it, you just do what you sort of need to do so it's not this big drastic thing that you're having to kind of constantly change or constantly focus on yep yeah. And so when Steph, I guess, first went through you know, all the different types of FODMAPs and, and those sort of things, like, as you said, the garlics and the, the you know, wheat-based things, so bread and pasta and that kind of thing, and then obviously lactose with the dairy products. Um, at the start there, did you go sort of really strict in cutting all of those things out as or almost as much as possible, like replacing all your pasta with rice or, or something else? Or was it a bit more subtle? Yeah, I think it was from memory. Um, it feels like, yeah, it feels Definitely. like quite a while. I can't remember, but I, I feel like it was sort of like a, almost like a clean slate type thing and then sort of re, reintroducing, um, you know, certain things at certain times. Um, and I think from memory, step, it was just more so we could actually work out, well, okay, what is actually causing some of the stuff and, and, and what's not in that. So, um yeah, it seemed. I, I feel like it was pretty quickly realizing that yeah, milk obviously wasn't wasn't something that was going to be going super fantastic. And then um, yeah, the typical you know onion and garlic. But then um, yeah, I think as well probably another one of the bigger things. And um, that might have been a conversation we had 
um, a little bit further along, just reg- as I was saying before about my crazy vegetable stir fry meals um, with, you know, 38 different vegetables in the one meal. Um, and then wondering why I'd be yeah, having these meals and then having, you know, some, you know, some sort of gut issues post those kind of meals and stuff. So, um, yeah, it was just a case of, yeah, just kind of working out, you know, what was what was working, what wasn't working um, and, um, you know, creating a bit of a game plan around that. And then also, yeah, as I sort of saying, the, the pre-race day, um, type stuff um, and the you know the planning in and around meals and, and stuff like that is um you know just been you know that's just I think that's just been a massive big part of the the success on race day um, as well mm, yeah absolutely and so once you did that kind of strict elimination or, or you know substantial reduction all those different FODMAPs it sounds like you sort of systematically reintroduced the things is that right Steph so you sort of challenged each of the different types of FODMAPs yeah, yeah. yep yeah yep, exactly so we take them out collectively to see what our best symptom response is um, and then we bring them in one by one to see what the main trigger is or what the tolerance level is yep. Um, yep. and how we can open up the, yep. the diet. Mm. Yeah, because yeah, actually that just jogged my memory. I think another one of the initial things was, um, I think it might have been one of the first messages, I remember having like um, some homemade hummus with like rice crackers <laughs> and I remember eating those and just thinking like, what hang on a second all i've had is hummus on crackers like this isn't beer. like i'm just it's a healthy alternative you know and, and you know soon realizing that you know chickpeas are you know um part of the part of the fodmaps that and um and and obviously you know the, the garlic that i was chucking in as well um obviously wasn't helping things along so um yeah i think it was just and for me it, it was just a real eye-opener just thinking like how on earth can it be that? And even even just with regards to like the grainy bread as well, you know, like um, you know, having having some symptoms and stuff just from having the you know five seeds, you know, Mollenberg or Vogel's bread or whatever it is, and 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 again, it's it's sort of just again, it's just a subtle change. And you know, while yeah, I'd maybe prefer to be having something else, there are some amazing alternatives. Um, and so just, you know, changing some small stuff up like that, um, you know, was just, and it's, and it's not like oh yeah, maybe maybe it worked or maybe it's like for me, it was just like almost almost instant response you know it's kind of like well hey don't eat this this and this and change and have this this and this and it's like it's 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 almost like feeling like a different person because i'm not you know eating and then 20 minutes later just going oh you know where's where's the nearest toilet and you know how am i gonna you know get through the next sort of couple of hours sort of thing because i've got a sore stomach yeah yeah absolutely and and obviously like it sounds like at times you sort of uh, followed more like, I guess, a vegetarian diet with some dairy products and other times a, a vegan diet. But, you know, in either case, I guess a lot of your protein sources are going to be those things like your legumes and your chickpeas and yeah. things, which tend to be sort of, you know, FODMAP-containing foods. Did that yeah. limit you quite a bit or were you able to reintroduce quite a few of those things eventually anyway? Um, yeah, I think, I think to be honest, I think a lot of it is, um, for me, probably around like the portion size of things as well and not, you know, and, and, and again, and as, as Steve said, you know, I think a couple of years ago, instead of having, you know, 10, 10 different vegetables per meal, have, you know, have four and, and not go so crazy on the veggies sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so I think it's just, you know, the amount of, you know, sort of stuff that I was having and some of the quantities of, of those different things, um, you know, was, was probably a big thing. Um, and, 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 and again, it would sort of be a case of just you yeah, having a meal and then half an hour later going, Oh, okay, cool. That was that was obviously about right, you know, sort of thing. And um, you know, and and there's obviously you know trial and error, and there's some some ups and downs. And as I said before, sometimes 
I just think, you know, bugger, I'm just gonna, you know, go and go and, you know, order order a garlic bread or, you know, or whatever, and um, you know, just sort of go with it. Or sometimes I will get a bit crazy and put half an avocado on my eggs on toast in the morning. But um, <laughs> it's one of those that, um, you know, it's sort of few, times that are few and far between. But then also, I, I do feel like that now, um, yeah, I am able to sort of. I guess handle a little bit more of some of those things and um, you know some of the stuff um, as I have kind of gradually reintroduced um, and even just with regards to like normal cheese and stuff as well um, sometimes I've kind of and I vaguely remember over the, over the last couple of years sort of accidentally forgetting to put you know the vegan cheese tick, tick that box for the you know for pizza or something and, um, and actually being okay with um, with having kind of normal cheese um, you know on the pizza whereas like in the past it would be almost like a guaranteed 20 minutes later no you've you've had something you're not supposed to have and Mm. and um you know knowing all about it sort of thing yeah yeah definitely and it sounds like and i think this is a a really important point too is that it doesn't necessarily have to be an all or nothing with some of these fodmaps it can be working out the level of those things that you can tolerate and then adjusting your portion sizes or having you know more of certain types of veggies that aren't causing a problem and, and less of some of the other ones that sort of thing as well um yeah for sure yeah and so are there foods that sort of are those sort of i guess those classic fodmap foods that you've been able to pretty much reintroduce I mean, you obviously mentioned cheese generally is the harder cheeses are going to be low in lactose anyway, for the most part. Yeah. Um, but are there any other sort of types of FODMAPs that you've been able to pretty much get away with eating whatever you like? Um, yeah, I think cheese has probably been one of the, I guess, one of the main ones that I've noticed that I can I can have now and um, and, and don't, don't have any sort of symptoms. Um, and then, yeah, probably, um, to be honest, I think, I, well, maybe I'm being a bit optimistic, but I like to think that I can tolerate a little bit of garlic now. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in saying that, um, too much, and, yeah, it's still a bit of a bit of a no-go zone sort of thing. So just, I mean, in, in general, I try and stay away from it. And the same the same as onions, but even, even with regards to, like, you know, onions and stuff, it's just a case of, you know, using red onion instead of using, you know, white onion sort of thing and having that as a bit of an alternative sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, in, in general... Um, yeah, it just sort of feels like I, I can yeah kind of be a bit more normal with things, but also still yeah being pretty pretty cautious and especially um you know when I'm in you know kind of I guess focused training blocks and building up for races and getting closer to race day sort of thing, it becomes a case of like okay well maybe I could get away with a little bit more of this or a little bit of that, but I'd rather just stay for me stay on the straight and narrow even if it just means you know a month of you know more more focused and, and more attention on on what I am having. Um, if it means that I can have you know less flare-ups along the way and just feel better in general day to day, but then also obviously yeah, leading into the kind of the important part of the season, mm. leading into race week, you know, feeling a lot better and also feeling confident and knowing, I guess even mentally knowing that hey, I have ticked all the right boxes in the build-up um, to hopefully have a you know higher chance of success. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and I think that's an, another uh, you know great message for people is that. You know, you, you, particularly with FODMAPs, it's not like celiac disease where it's physically doing damage to you. Um, it's unpleasant, but it's not not damaging. So from that perspective, you can pick and choose a little bit and say, this is a period where I want to clamp down on it, but I know it's only for this short period of time. I've got something to yeah. look forward to. It's not like I have to do this forever or for the whole year or, or whatever. Yeah. Um, so psychologically, obviously, that's a lot easier to, to sort of deal with. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, Final question just around the, the FODMAP side of things, or actually two. Um, in terms of the sport, like what you're actually having during a run, so your sports nutrition products, how did the, or did it, did the FODMAP side of things change your choice of sports nutrition products or not really? Um, probably uh, probably not, to be honest, the actual sports nutrition products. Um, 
Yeah, I think um, well for me, it may, maybe I guess it did in a in a sort of roundabout way, but just it was just a case of me just finding some yeah some some products that were working, um, and having used a, a range of different stuff, you know, kind of over the years, um, you know, just and and for me, I guess it was just a little bit of trial and error, and um, you know, working out what what was going to be working and what wasn't, sort of thing. Um, and yeah, I just sort of found, um, you know, that, I mean, I guess over the last couple of years, I've been using um, a couple of different, um, you know, sort of drink mixes. Um, and and then especially um, you know I mean gels while not a they're not a massive part of my nutrition plans now um, they still they still are in there and they still serve their purpose and as as do the other sort of you know sports products with the the drink mixes and even the um, the chews that I use as well um, and so yeah it's just a case of just now I've sort of you know the, the sports product stuff um, side of things I've got that sort of I guess dialed in you know with regards to what I'm using um, and then yeah the, the the normal normal food kind of stuff which to be honest that's more of yeah that my I guess my nutrition plan and the core of my my sort of race day nutrition is revolving around the the, the solid food mm. options that I am having um, you know on race day and it sort of feels like that's the base of it and then I'm just sort of topping up or you know supplementing that with some of the sports product stuff um, you know, on you know, alongside the you know the solid food that I'm that I'm having as well. Yep. And did any of those solid food options have to change dramatically from what you were doing before? Um, no, not before. I wasn't really having solid food before, to be okay. honest. Um, or just, and I think it was sort of um, it, it sort of just got a bit not complicated, but just um, I in a weird way I had a race in 2017 um, that ended up I had a bit of a nutrition plan. Um, that did have some solid food options with some um, like burrito wraps and some chocolate spread and some marmite and avocado and stuff and that. And um, for whatever reason that day, the solid food just wasn't working. Um, I'm still not actually sure what it was because it had been working like absolute clockwork and training. And then, so for the race in 2017, I ended up basically going near on 18 hours just using gels. Um, and that worked fantastically well. So I thought going going into 2018, I thought, geez, this is this is bloody easy. All I need to do is take gels for you know 20 hours, and I'll be sweet. Um, but yeah, that sort of went 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 all up pretty quickly. So um, yeah, it was just a case of um, yeah re reworking things. And also, I think the more that I sort of played around with solid food during training runs and working out what was going to be working. Um, now now using a lot of like mashed potato and stuff, um, some sushi rice balls. Um, bananas um, and some like what even just like the bread we we're talking about before having like white bread you know sandwiches with a bit of marmite and avocado um, as, a, as opposed to having the wraps and stuff and so just working out some slightly different options that um, yeah touch wood have been have been working fantastically well and even I think for me as I sort of mentioned before about the Hong Kong 100 race being like a massive turning point with that for me being able to eat the mashed potato and eat the sushi rice in 28 degrees with crazy humidity um, sort of knowing that hey this works in those kind of conditions, um, you know, gives me pretty good confidence that, you know, any other conditions, you know, outside of that are probably going to be arguably make things easier on the gut um, because it's not going to be as hot and, and everything else. Um, and so yeah, it just definitely gives me confidence, you know, with, with the other races that I've had kind of since then. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, I guess the, the only other thing that um, I wanted to touch on is, you know, you do – a fair few races now I reckon that do start at night um <laughs> which I think you, you're crazy for um Love but, it. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess in terms of then racing at night how does that impact on your nutrition leading in you know if you if you're going to be starting at midnight what are some changes that you tend to do there 
yeah, I think um, I think for me, it's just sort of the, the like the timing of the meals. Um, and and to be honest, it has actually been a couple of years since I have done a, a nighttime start. Um, and so yeah, I've um, I've, I've probably um, I'd probably have to go back through a, a recent email to work out what I should be doing um, for the next one. That <laughs> I did. Um, but yeah, I think just the the timings of meals um, is is the key sort of you know to that. And um, and I, I sort of vaguely yeah sort of remember instead of um, you know like obviously it would normally be you know if it's a morning race, get up in the morning. And and normally for me it was you know, not really, not very often I'd have anything before the start of the race and just, you know, sort of go and start the race and start the nutrition plan and hopefully have amazing stores of glycogen ready to fire. Um, mm-hmm. But whereas obviously with the nighttime stuff, you know, a little bit more planning was needed. And so, yeah, just timing my sort of, you know, normal sort of, you know, pasta meal with, with tofu um, before the before the start. Um, and again, you know, just making sure I'm having it, you know, X amount of time before the start of the race and then, you know, planning sort of having that main meal and then I've sort of in the case of like UTMB starting at, you know, 5.30, 6 o'clock at night, um, I sort of feel, feel it might have been around sort of 2.30 or something thereabouts, um, having, you know, some, um, you know, I think I was having like a bowl of cornflakes with some milk and then um, and then like a piece of toast with or half a piece of toast or something. So, um, yeah, just sort of having having that plan and knowing specifically and, and literally setting alarms on my phone to make sure that I'm sort of doing it at the right time and not, you know, getting, you know, too late or eating too early and then having this sort of weird in-between time or whatever it is. Um, and, and then that way, yeah, hopefully, the again, just the, 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 my gut will be in as good a position as it can be and to start these races, um, and especially in the case of some of them, um, you know, the Laverator Ultra Trail starts at 11 o'clock at night. Um, the Madeira Island Ultra starts at midnight. Um, and so especially in those races, um, it's just, yeah, I think getting, being able to stand on the start line feeling relatively normal, not feeling, oh, geez, I'm hungry or, geez, I'm full or, you know, and anything in between, um, you know, definitely gives you confidence that, hey, okay, well, the, the stomach's, you know, I've done what I need to do. The stomach's feeling like it's in a pretty good spot. Um, so, you know, should be good to go sort of thing. Yeah. And did you do any sort of, you know, training the gut with, um, you know, if you're running during night and you're trying to take on board nutrition, um, did you also practice that in your training where you do some sessions, you know, in the evening um, so you got your body kind of acclimatised to that and then being able to tolerate food? Yeah, definitely. I think, um, and probably one of the biggest things I think with these races that are going through the night and, and starting in the night is, um, and as I sort of, you know, said before, with regards to having a, you know, kind of a nutrition plan for, you know, sub ultra distance races, so sub 50k um, versus doing 100k nutrition plan for racing and then 100 miler, um, the same sort of, I guess, adjustments I make with regards to races that start at midnight versus races that start at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and so for me, I, I have always used and still use liquid calories as, as part of my, you know, kind of nutrition plan in general. Um, but I know for me and, and a lot of other, to be honest, a lot of other clients that I've coached that have had issues with um, taking on liquid calories, you know, during the night and all of a sudden, you know, people have got, you know, two or 300, you know, grams of carbs or whatever it might be stuck in, you know, 600 mils of liquid. Um, but all of a sudden, you know, it's it's six degrees, wind wind coming in sideways, and hail smashing your face. And you're like, well, geez, I don't really feel like you know drinking anything. Um, and so, yeah, for me, it was just a case of knowing that okay, for these races that are starting late at night, um, to make sure that yeah, the the kind of core of my you know nutrition is going to be you know more around solid food, and then yeah, supplementing with you know the odd gel every now and again, and then obviously at, at a, a point in time during the night 
introducing a little bit of caffeine to help you know keep things you know sort of moving over and also for, for me part of the like the the timing of the caffeine is important just with regards to when the, when the sun's coming up because I generally get a bit lethargic and tired um you know as the sun's coming up so sort of stuff like that specific to nighttime race starts um mm. has been has been really important and um and now it's sort of I haven't done it for a couple of years but the last couple of races where I have had nighttime starts it's sort of just um yeah, it just becomes a okay. Well, here, here's what you need to do. So just you know, go and do it, sort of thing. And it's not this um you know big sort of new you know thing needing to you know change anything up. Um, and also having yeah doing normally nothing to be honest, nothing too crazy in the sense of doing you know really long nighttime runs and you know being out there literally all the night and you know testing out nutrition and gear and all that during the night. But it might be a case of you know sometimes I'll start a I'll start a run at you know seven o'clock at night and, and finish at 11 o'clock at night so I'm getting a good you know three hours of running at night in the dark and all that kind of stuff and also getting my body you know eating food and processing food when normally I'd be you know horizontal you know obviously sleeping sort of thing um, and so I think you know feeling like you know getting the gut used to that and then also I feel like part of the another part of the equation is just also the confidence that you gain from having some of these runs where yeah and, and equally sometimes starting in the morning at three o'clock in the morning and and you know and eating some mashed potato and having a banana and having a marmite and avocado sandwich and and, and being able to eat it being able to run and perform and go uphill downhill and know that the stomach's okay I think having done that and especially having done that in the build-up to the race a few times over and especially closer to the race having confidence that yeah hey I can I can just carry on doing what I'm doing with what I've been doing in training and I'm, I'm you know probably going to have some success with it so yeah 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 well I, um, I think you know from working with you and then some of the, your clients um, that kind of helped inspire some of our research that we've recently done where we did look at you know okay well um, I was kind of thinking is there a reason why people experience symptoms do people experience more symptoms at night um, versus day um, and is there a potential reason for that so um, yeah and um, and then that's you know one of the outcomes that we found was yeah when we're exercising at night our gut is kind of you know slowing down not functioning as well um, yeah. and so a take home from that is basically to do exactly what you've said to to train the gut at night and get it used to having you know digesting and absorbing um yep. when normally it would be you know kind of sleeping and chilling out yeah. um so yeah you helped um inspire that that study scotty so thanks for that one glad my, my, i'm glad my sloshing um my sloshing gut had some positive effects on it <laughs> and steph when you say um you know eating eating at night to, to train the gut that means while you're actually exercising doesn't it doesn't mean watching the tour yes. de france at two in the morning and, and eating some snacks <laughs> <laughs> yeah get it yes <laughs> yeah so you still got to do the eating exercise during night. night yeah yep. fair enough <laughs> All right, well, I think it's time for our bonus round to finish us off. So this is where we find out a little bit more about you, Scotty, besides um, guts and FODMAPs and, and running. Um, so our first question, is there something on your bucket list that you haven't yet done? Yeah, I thought about that. Um, yeah, I've always wanted to go to Antarctica. And so, yeah, yeah. That's the third, what, third person in a row that said that, literally. Oh, is that yep. right? Mm. Yep. Um, yeah, yeah. I've just always, um, 
yeah, just always had this fascination with Antarctica, and um, yeah, so there, there are actually there is a couple of races well, in Antarctica and in, in the mm. Arctic as well. So um, yeah, I maybe need to um, you know try and see if I can find a creative angle to to you know to to pitch to my sponsors that I think it'd be a great idea for Scotty to go and play with the Penguins for a while and yep. um, <laughs> a race down there or something, which would be pretty cool. Yeah. So um, yeah, that be the you know probably the top of the bucket list I think. yeah fair enough it's literally the last three podcasts in a row now that has been exactly yeah. the same answer so we had alistair <laughs> donahoe who's a paralympic cyclist um from australia yeah. and who was it well maybe, maybe we can organize a, a trip together and we can all pitch in and get a mate's rates discount exactly right that's it <laughs> steph do you want to go as well i don't think i've asked yeah why not yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, who who was it before that i'm just trying to think Oh, Chris um, it was Chris Irwin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, caffeine. Yeah, he's a researcher, yep. caffeine researcher. Yeah, well, you guys will gel well together because they're actually, this is the thing, Alan, they're all fanatic caffeine lovers. Exactly yeah. right. Yep. I don't it. know what it would be like in Antarctica, so we have to take um, take Aeropress and... Um, Aeropress. Yeah, well, actually, Alistair, who we had last um, our last episode, he was saying exactly the same thing. He has to take coffee with him everywhere he goes. He had his little stash that he took to Tokyo with him for the Paralympics, but uh, I think thankfully they had had good coffee there. Yeah, anyway. I, I literally had specialty coffee delivered from Barcelona to me a couple of days ago. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, because for me being over here for so long, it um, yeah, it does get to a point where um, yeah, where I do actually start to run out. So um, it's good to be able to have online online delivery. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now, obviously, you do an awful lot of running, but is there another sport that you've always wanted to try but you haven't had the chance for whatever reason? Um, probably not that I haven't had the chance to try, but um, definitely a sport that I, if I wasn't a professional ultra runner, I um, I'd, I'd love to get into mountain biking more. Um, yeah, it's um, it's something that I yeah have always I loved as a kid, and um, and now so I guess as I've you know gotten a little bit older and into endurance sports and stuff, I sort of wonder, yeah, what I might be able to achieve. Um, you know, mountain biking and also mountain biking being in the Olympics. Um, I, I think I've left my left my Olympics run a little bit too late now with regards <laughs> to to mountain biking, especially considering the sort of the the average age of some of these mountain bikers is um, you know, ten years yeah. younger than. Um, I've probably missed that boat but um, yeah definitely mountain biking would be something that I would um, you know love to do more of and um, I do do a little bit now when I'm back in New Zealand which is awesome and it's definitely part of my uh, cross training um, to a point where my coach tells me we need to put the mountain bike away because we're getting closer (laughs) to the important parts of the season for job that I'm kind of paid to do so I need to swap the mountain bike for my gravel bike and um, you know stick to the easier easier gravel trails instead of the the downhill stuff but um yeah, it's definitely something that I enjoy a lot, and um, yeah, definitely see myself doing a lot, lot more as I, um, you know, aren't focusing on on the trail running so much. Mm. And it's amazing trails in New Zealand, so you know, half of us yeah, spend yeah. our whole time saving up to go over there to, to ride. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's it. Awesome. Yeah. Um, do you live by any piece of advice or motto? Um, yeah, I, uh, yeah. Um, as much as I don't agree with the company, um, yeah, um, just do it from Nike um, has been, um, yeah, something my dad um, ever since, and probably this, to be honest, this is probably before all this stuff started happening with Nike as a brand and some of their athletes and that's another story, another conversation. But um, yeah, my dad, ever since I was really young, um, he just basically used to always say, you know, as Nike says, just do it. Um, and so that's just something. And am I, yeah, I'm getting goosebumps now actually thinking about it. my dad literally tells me that before the start of every race, every phone call we have, um, you know, before the race, um, he, he tells me the same thing and it just rings so, so true to me. And, um, 
and some you know when when the back's against the wall it's just a case of just just do it you know just just um you know just get out there and um give it everything and do it and um and, and that so yeah that's definitely something that sort of stuck with me you know right from a well yeah since I was a kid basically and that would have been early on you know playing soccer and playing other sports and then definitely you know now as a as a you know as an athlete and professional athlete it's just something that I just always sort of think about and um with regards to you know racing and then also day-to-day and training and stuff sometimes you know the motivation might be wavering a little bit but it's just a case of you know dialing back the focus and just literally just getting out there and doing it so mm. yeah that sounds good um now we may have already covered this uh from the last couple of questions but is there one thing that you have to take with you when you're traveling <laughs> is it the coffee or you got something the else on the list magical black liquid drink <laughs> I wouldn't, holy heck yeah, no i um yeah i i that's probably the first thing that goes into my suitcase before my trail running shoes don't tell my sponsors <laughs> I said, but, um, yeah um for me, yeah, good good coffee is an absolute um, an absolute necessity. So um, yeah, I've got my got my little setup with my um, my Aeropress and my my Commandante hand grinder, and um, yeah, it's definitely yeah. I wouldn't wouldn't. I, actually, I had one trip earlier this year where I first time ever I've actually forgotten my grinder, and um, I was I was pretty devastated. So I had to um, yeah take the beans to a, a cafe and get them to grind them up for me, which was um, <laughs> but yeah, coffee for me is definitely. I mean, I just. It's not something that I'm reliant on for caffeine purposes. It's just I just I just love coffee Enjoy and um, love the process of making it as well. Yep. Mm. Well, rather than hiding it from your shoe sponsor, maybe we need to get you a coffee sponsor as well, and then you can yeah. put them in together. Yeah. If anyone if anyone out there knows of any links or or ways, you know, just um, yeah, flip me a message. I'm definitely big. Yeah. <laughs> and I reckon Steph, we should start like a little bar chart or something on Instagram of, of all the answers to that question because coffee would be up here and everything else would be oh. like trailing off yeah. down the bottom. Yeah. It just comes up yeah. time and time yeah. again. Um, yeah. And then the final question, is there someone that you've always wanted to meet but you've never had the chance? Um, I actually thought about that and, yeah, not really. I don't um, I don't think I really have any sort of fanboy, fangirl people <laughs> that I'd, you know, kind of – love to meet in the sense of I've always wanted to meet them my whole life um there's definitely a few people that I would love to meet in the sense of you know sit down and have a beer or a coffee and 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 have, have a yarn and and um definitely um you know there's a guy a photographer um Jimmy Chin um amazing amazing photographer and adventurer and explorer and stuff and um does a lot of crazy stuff and so um yeah him someone like him and uh, another guy Conrad Anker um these are guys that would just be I, I just feel like some of the stories that they would have of adventures I've been on and, and everything else would just be incredible to hear and probably pretty mind-blowing as well and I think, you know, super inspiring um, as well and I feel, yeah, for me, I guess as a person, I just really look up to people that, um, you know, spend a lot of time in the mountains and do some, you know, crazy amazing things and achievements in the mountains um, and so, yeah, I think probably those those couple of guys would be, um, yeah, pretty cool to, to sit down with and have a beer and, um, you know, hear a bit more about their story and some of the adventures I've been on. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, I think that's us done. So thank you so much for your time, Scotty. It's great to hear about, I guess, that approach that you took of, in terms of, you know, taking the FODMAP stuff out, you know, resolving those gut issues, but then also that reintroduction and working out how much of that you could tolerate rather than just saying, I'm never going to eat that ever again. Um, and obviously, you know, you had a, a good experienced FODMAP dietitian to, to help you, guide you in that path, which obviously helps. Um, but yeah, thanks so much for your time and joining us on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. It's good to chat. Thanks, Scotty.
Awesome. Thank you very much to Scotty Hawker from sharing his experiences and I guess some of the practical things that he had to do considering sort of the FODMAP content of, of his diet and I guess where he came from and, and where it got him to, which is fantastic and obviously you know, culminating in that second place in, in CCC uh, just a few weeks ago, which is fantastic. So Steph, I guess we had the episode with you um, last week and then with the episode with Scotty this week. So if we just sort of um, pull those things together and, and just summarise very briefly, I guess, what FODMAPs are and, and why they're relevant to exercise. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, FODMAPs are fermentable types of, of carbohydrates um, and they're really common in, in all types of foods. Um, uh, for, it's been shown to be a, a low FODMAP diet has been shown to be quite um, therapeutic for individuals that um, are diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome or other functional gut symptoms. Um, so we've got a lot of good evidence for that. Um, and now we've seen it um, evolve into, into, I guess, the sports nutrition world where we were seeing, you know, athletes um, that, that get through or go through a lot of exertional stress can experience gastrointestinal symptoms that are irritable bowel-like. Um, and so then we delved into the research with that and seeing if applying a, a low FODMAP diet could be perhaps um, beneficial in reducing some of those symptoms for, for people. Um, I think the key thing that we want to get out of this as well is to know that um, we don't want everyone to now just jump on a, on a low FODMAP diet. Um, you know, um, as we've spoken about in previous podcasts, that there's a number of factors that can trigger symptoms for individuals that are exercising um, and it can get quite complex. Um, we know that FODMAPs can be really good for gut health as well. Um, so we want to be really kind of strategic um, and specific in what we're doing when we're changing someone's diet and understand, you know, all the reasons that we're doing that um, and for how long we're doing that for. So I guess with, with Scotty, you know, we, we kind of um, went through a thorough history um, to try and work out, well, what are the, the possible um, reasons for why he's experiencing symptoms? Um, and then, um, and then it turned out that um, you know foods that were high in FODMAPs were part of the reason why he was experiencing his symptoms. Um, there were other things within that as well. Um, and then, importantly, that if we do implement a low FODMAP diet, we're quite specific in um, you know how long we're doing that for. And then, um, if it is effective, really trying to also then bring back as much FODMAPs as we can, um, because we know that they can be beneficial for our gut and per perhaps can be quite protective for our gut. And there's further research um, that we're doing in that. So I guess stay tuned um, for that. We'll release some information in that in the sports dietitians conference, and then and then we can talk about that a bit a bit later. Um, and then really importantly um, is, okay, well, if we are taking out some of those foods that are high in FODMAP, making sure that we know what foods can replace them. So we make sure that we're still getting the, you know, the nutritional intake that, that we need. Um, and then I think also just um, also be, be aware that um, with, 
with symptoms as well, depending on when they're happening um, and if we're trying to work out what it is, um, it can be at least on a day-to-day basis a food intolerance. It's more a build-up effect. So when we eat a problematic food, we're not necessarily getting symptoms straight away. Um, it's until we get to that threshold level. So that's why it can be really difficult for people to work out what is you know, triggering their symptoms. Um, and then, yeah, just making sure we can um, reintroduce as, as much as we can and that there's lots of other factors that can go along with why we're experiencing symptoms um, as well. So I think they're probably the, the key things as well as knowing that just because maybe now you might have to, you know, limit particular foods. It actually doesn't mean that down the track you'll still have to do that. Our system can somehow, you know, um, evolve for various reasons. So I'd encourage you to, um, you know, down the track, if you really do love a food that used to, you know, trigger symptoms for you, um, try and um, perhaps reintroduce them later on down the track and you might find that that it agrees with you in that point of time. So, yeah, I mm. um, think they're the yep. key messages. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that sounds great. Okay, so just another reminder, uh, if you've got any questions that you'd like answered, you can uh, contact us at The Long Munch on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter and we'd love to, to hear your feedback or questions. Uh, but moving on to next week, Steph, uh, it will be episode 22A. Uh, and our question is, is plant-based better? So obviously we talked about sort of uh, removing things, but being mindful of how to do that in today's episode. But uh, obviously, you know, removing animal products is another one that people will consider, obviously for all sorts of various different reasons. Uh, and we'll have a look at that, I guess, in the context of running cycling and triathlon some of the things that we need to consider uh, and whether it is uh, beneficial as I guess uh, some people discuss often online in particular. So we're going to have Associate Professor Greg Cox uh, to to talk to us about that. So Greg uh, has worked for years at the Australian Institute of Sport uh, and now at uh, Bond University where he's an Associate Professor uh, and also works as the Nutrition Lead for Triathlon Australia. Uh, He's been over to the Olympics in Rio as part of the, the team over there from a nutrition perspective um, and he's sort of eaten vegetarian um, and, and plant-based diets of various guises throughout his own life um, and done a lot of work with athletes in that space as well. Yeah, awesome. Looking forward to um, to listening to, to Greg. He's a wealth of information. Um, so until then, we will leave everyone in peace. Yep, we will do. See you, everyone. See ya.